Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, editor Madhu Eddy Christian, joined again this week by my friend and colleague, Airlines reporter Edward Ned Russell, as we discuss Delta's boom of a summer, what's going on in the Nordics again, and my interview with KLM CEO Peter Albers. Thank you for joining. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hey there, Ned. How are you? I'm good, Madhu. How are you feeling this week? Well, I feel like unalloyed crap. <laughs> and let me tell you why, Ned. I think you know why, but let me tell our listeners why. I just got a booster shot. And that's a good thing. But it got me thinking as I've been lying here with a cold compress on my head and a bottle of Tylenol nearby, just uh, where we were... Watching trash TV, maybe. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm working. I'm on duty. Uh, watching trash TV uh, and being familiar with every Bravo celebrity's um, personal lives. Summer House, uh, Southern Charm season one has been interesting, but uh, this does actually pertain to aviation. I couldn't help thinking as I was sitting here with the cold compress on my head of where we were two years ago this time. Um, you know, in ju- early June of 2020, we there were no vaccines widely available. Scientists really hadn't gotten their heads around this disease and how it affects people. Travel all but collapsed. If you remember, I mean, there's what was it? early April 2020 when the TSA screening numbers went down to just the five digits in yeah, a day. April was the, was the lowest number ever, yeah. Right, and this, the climb was not the climb back was not fast. I mean, we're, in June, we were still talking about, about under, under 100,000 or so passengers a day. I mean, the, the, so this is where we were just two years ago, Ned. I mean, it, it's really remarkable to think where we've come in two years. And granted, you know, Asia still, a lot of Asia still closed. China's in various rolling lockdowns. And, um, and you know, there, there's <clears throat> European demand looks strong. But I mean, there are lots of regions of the world where things are still a little parlous. But, but where we are now compared with June 1st, 2020 is shocking. And it was made especially shocking this morning when when we got an investor update from Delta, which uh, both of us read. But Ned, go ahead, tell us what what Delta said this morning. Well, to to quote Delta CEO Ed Bastian, phenomenal. Right. That's how we describe demand. That's how we inscribe the entire environment, leisure, business, international. It's all phenomenal. Um, the airline expects revenues to have fully recovered in the second quarter to twenty nineteen levels, and that's on. 18% less capacity. I mean, think of and, that, right? Already back to 2019. And this is something, if you remember the beginning of the pandemic, I mean, IATA was saying 2024, possibly, right? For the record, IATA still says globally right. air traffic will be 2024. But that's, yeah. It's but a, yeah, it's, 2024, possibly, and the full recovery would be 2025. And that may be, as you pointed out, that may be true for Asia and for true long haul right, international right. travel. But, but this goes to that goes to Ed Bastian's point that he made when he spoke was that the demand is higher than it was in 2019, and he think it's it's at a permanently higher level. It is not going back to 2019 levels anymore, uh, and not going back in term in the, in the good sense that it's it's above it. And and the thing is is they're doing this with Asia almost entirely still shut down. Remember, Delta was the second largest U.S. Yeah. airline to Asia after United, so. We're above 2019 levels with basically U.S., Europe, and Latin open. And, geez, what are we going to see once Asia reopens? Like, it's just, it's crazy to think. 
I know. Now, an important thing to remember, and you you mentioned this um, earlier, is that uh, revenues are back to 2019 level. Capacity is not. I mean, it's 82% of 2019's capacity. So it's just simple math. When demand is high and, capa- and supply is low, the prices will be higher. So Delta's- Speaking to which, yep, go Bastion for it. said pricing is 25 to 30% higher year over year right now, yeah. which is massive. And why people and I, you know, I've talked about fares. People are talking about having to pay seven, $800 to go from New York to Austin in July, which is crazy. These are domestic routes that don't normally see nearly that high fare unless you're walking up and buying a walk-up ticket. Right. And that, that is supply and demand. And there is clearly a lot of demand. There's less supply. And um, here's, here's where we're at. I mean, it's great for airline yields. I was just talking to somebody yesterday who asked me about this. And I said, great for the airlines. Maybe not so great for the passenger, because as you pointed out, you will be fly- you will be paying through the nose to get where you want to go. If there's even a flight of a seat available on the flight where you want to go, so and you know, <laughs> I hate to keep bringing Bastion, but he, he commented that corporate travel is returning. Um, you know, we talked a lot about it; it is coming back strong. But but he said corporate travelers are having to, and literally his words, fight with. Leisure travelers to buy seats on planes because capacity is so constrained. That's amazing. And he said, actually, more corporate. He expects he feels that more corporate or corporate travel would have recovered more at this point if there weren't the capacity constraints. Yeah, that is amazing. That is amazing. But you know, I mean, we all there is always a caveat in this industry. There's always risks. I mean, I live in the San Francisco. I live in San Francisco, and the Bay Area was kind of a model throughout the pandemic for being very aggressive in its. mitigation efforts. And, you know, uh, it, it was largely successful, but the Bay Area now is seeing the highest rate of infection and the highest rate of hospitalization ever during the pandemic. So this is, uh, you know, I was just listening- Hence to- Madhu going and getting his fourth shot. <laughs> right. But I was just listening to um, uh, the, a public health officer on a, at a press conference earlier today who said, um, you know, this is, he understands like people just want to get out there. They want to travel. They want to go to restaurants. They want to rip the masks off and burn them um, or whatever they're doing with, we're, we're doing with our masks. But it's, it may, you know, this, this virus isn't done with us. It's just, we, we seem to be kind of done with the virus. And we're can I say public. something? Yeah. And, and people are welcome to email me about this is I don't get this demand. Like you said, to burn our masks. I'm sorry. Like, Yes, I'm don't love masks. I am not someone who wants to wear well, one. The I rest do. Of my life. Let me tell you why I like it. Pub- <laughs> you know what? Public restrooms are kind of amazing now, because <laughs> when you wear a mask, <laughs> they don't smell as bad. I was in a California State Park <laughs> public restroom, which um, you've ever I'd been like to one. tell her. I- <laughs> Like to our listeners, you're now listening to California Public Restroom Podcast. If you've ever been to one, they're composting toilets because this is a drought-prone area, and they are disgusting. And I went into one wearing my mask. I was like, oh, you know what? This isn't as bad as I remember. So anyway, carry on. Oh my gosh. (laughs) No, anyway, I was just going to say, like, I don't understand this desire to, like, burn our masks. Like, in a situation where I'm in a crowded indoor space, I want to wear a mask. I feel more comfortable wearing a mask. And... I, I sincerely don't, but you know that's another thing aside. Like I, I, it's I'm just amazed at how quickly so many people have thrown their masks out. But that is an aside, right? So it's uh, what's interesting to me is you know we have come a remarkable way in two years. We have come from like you know being terrified to go to the grocery store 
in a lot of parts of the world or, you know, being under strict lockdown, like here in San Francisco, where I, you know, there were, I had to wear a mask when I was running or it was against the regulations. And I had to um, wear one in DC too. Yeah. And where it's remarkable to think just how now people want to travel again. People maybe a lot of people put off their vacations in 20 or everyone put off their vacations in 2020. Some people ventured back in 2021, but now, I mean, there's just so much pent up demand to travel and it's being reflected in the airline numbers. So I want to do one asterisk to, to this excellent yield story for airlines is Delta did not change their margin guidance for Mm. Q2 because fuel prices have gone up more since they last guided. So, Basically, what I read into that is they expect uh, they are passing on those higher fuel prices to passengers, but they're not making additional money. So, right. um, in terms of, of profit uh, margin, right. not and we you know, both they're, saw they're, that. Yeah. We both saw that Bureau of Transportation Statistics report that uh, fuel is the highest it's ever been in twenty years or since records. No. Highest April it's ever been. I just wrote a story on this. So yes, yes. Yeah, highest April it's ever been since records were started being kept in 2000. So this is fun uh, fact. The highest it has ever been is four dollars and ten cents per gallon in uh, summer 20, 2008. Ah, so, right, the hundred and forty-seven dollar a barrel oil. I remember yes. that well. But um, we uh, we shall see if we get there at this yeah. point. But, yeah, but you know the the interesting thing, you know, so so far we're not seeing it in the U.S. But remember last week we talked about indigo. And um, in India, and Ronajoy Dutta said, uh, they're, they're so far, a, you know, demand is such that they're able to pass through higher fuel costs there. But it will reach a point, he believes, where it'll start to crimp demand. You know, pri- the yeah. really price sensitive travelers will stop flying once. And he, does, he didn't know where that point was, but he said it was coming. Now, I wonder if the same thing will happen here. I mean, so far, demand is great. The economy is strong, but there are a lot of there's a lot of chatter about a recession. Is the economy that strong, Madhu? We were in a technical uh, the, the economy did contract in the first quarter. Yeah, I mean, that's not so, a technical I mean, recession. To, that's not a technical it's not, recession. It's not a technical recession. It's and two quarters of, sp- of and yeah. consumer spending remains incredibly strong. Right. So, yes. hiring is strong. So, we're you know. There, it is likely we'll head to a recession, and if consumer f- spending falls off and um, and hiring pulls back, then yes, I wonder when the price sensitive travelers will fall off because they're they can't they they're not but willing to take the price of oil. You know, Bastian spoke to that. He oh. said he doesn't expect demand to really abate much in the fall. He expects corporate demand will like it traditionally yeah. does fill in for the leisure travelers who start to stay home. And he was very clear he doesn't want to talk us into a recession, but he said, you know, if there is a potential slowdown in the economy, fuel prices should actually come in like they traditionally do. And so it'll help airlines on the the cost side. So he is unconcerned about, you know, which way he expects demand is going to stay above 2019 levels, whether it's corporate or leisure or international or whatever. And, uh, you know, a slowdown in economic activity could actually be beneficial on the cost side. So he was, I mean, he just sat back and <laughs> that's, this is, it's, 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 it's good. But so that is, operations, operations are the big issue right now. But yeah, that is <laughs> interesting though, Ned. I mean, because just last week, Robin Hayes of uh, JetBlue, and that's a more leisure focused airline than, than Delta, uh, warned that, uh, you know, they saw storm clouds in the fall and they weren't guiding for the fall because the country could very well be in a recession and that would affect their booking. So I think that's probably a factor of a very different um, 
it's if they just serve different segments absolutely. of the market. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then if Asia started to reopen by the fall, Delta is likely to see that pent up demand coming. From, you know, there's like all kinds of things that can make up for a decline in domestic leisure travel um, if that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's it, it'll be interesting to watch. So um, very that, interesting. Never a dull day in the airline industry. Never a never dull, a dull day. day. And that is my my ranting from my fevered brain of, uh, of, of uh, another booster. So let's take a break here and let me collect myself and uh, we'll catch you on the flip. And we're back. Hey, Ned, how are you? Um, so we're back. I'm still good, Badu. We're You're still good after our two minute break. We're still good. So um, we're back and we wanted to go across the Atlantic and up north a little bit to hear what SAS had to say. Basically, we're, we're, we're repeating our flight pattern from last week. And we are. Heading back to the Nordics. But, uh, but from know, the opposite it, side of the world. Because last from week the opposite we came side from of the world. India. <laughs> the sweep yes, we're coming from yes. the States. So SAS reported their earnings for their their first quarter, which is February, March, and April. They're on a different annual right. time hill. But, uh, you know, they reported what most airlines reported, improvements in revenues. You know, once the Omicron uh, wave passed, like, they cl- narrowed their their loss. But but the big thing is, is, is they are pushing for this Swedish kroner $7.5 billion cost-cutting program and... Uh, they unveiled this in February, but CEO Enko Vanderwerf said, you know, they are not making the progress that they they had hoped to make at this point after three months after unveiling it. And in no uncertain terms, he told analysts that, you know, if they are unable to reach deals with their their lesser leasing, leasing counterparties, labor unions, they are not uh, they have not going to court, i.e. filing for administration and doing a court led restructuring is definitely on the table. Wow. Well, I mean, SAS has had a kind of bad run of it for a while. I mean, even before the pandemic, it was flailing about a little bit. Um, so that's and Anko Vanderwerf took over when Ned. It was recently, right? Uh, it was last. It was it was last year. He was at IATA, so I want to say August twenty twenty one. Yeah, somewhere in there, give or take so, a few months. So he's coming in, and uh, he came in sort of in the middle of this this restructuring plan that they had, or this re re this business transformation plan. I shouldn't say restructuring, and right. now is threatening Which an is actual it? restructuring. <laughs> yes, and I mean it is a challenge for him. He made the note that you know, he said during the call that you know SAS paid all of their leases and all their aircraft through through the pandemic. They didn't renegotiate things, and now they want to. And you know it's kind of it, <laughs> I, it's it's kind of like they're. It feels almost like they're doing this at the wrong time because I think leasing companies and a lot of other firms are more willing to negotiate during the worst of it. Now, demand is recovering and SES is here like, oh, wait, we want to change things around now. And he pointed out their wide body fleet as one of the big issues for them is they have uh, 14 A330s and A350s. But they he sees a permanent change in travel demand to Asia and says they have too many wide bodies. They, they want to shrink that hmm. fleet. And so but they're not getting any traction with, with leasing companies. And, and they've got two orders coming from Airbus, so they might be negotiating with Airbus too. I don't know what the state is. He didn't specify exactly. So it's, it's an interesting thing. Is like he, he came in and, and you know, had he been CEO in March 2020 when everything, you know, the world crashed down, he probably, I'm guessing he would have you know, approached it differently and done some of these changes earlier on. And now they're kind of struggling to get them through now. Hmm. Well, it's a tough hand that he's been dealt. It's you know, you know, yeah. 
Right. And, and, you know, in the meantime and in the interim, I mean, the Nordic aviation market has completely restruck, re- reinvented itself. I mean, you have WoW went away. Now you've play. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Norse Atlantic, um, the new the startup uh, Fleer, Flyer, however you say it. Flyer. Flyer. Nor- Norwe- the new Norwegian, which abandoned long haul and is focusing on. Which on- did do a court led administration. Right. So they did shed a lot of costs that way. They did. And, you know, that was kind of SAS's wheelhouse was the short haul. While Norwegian was off focusing on flights to Bangkok and whatever, um, you know, SAS owned the Nordics, the short haul Nordic uh, market. Yeah. And yeah. now Norwegian's and- stepping up its game. SS's former stock, like major Stockholm base, now has uh, Eurowings, Ryanair, and Finnair offering, uh, you know, more flights from their bases or whatnot. So there's a lot of new competition now. It's funny you bring this up because I, I did a word search, and he Anko said competitive or competition more than ten times during wow. the call, huh. uh, saying that they need these cost cuts to be competitive to you know competition and. Um, so it's interesting. The competition is definitely, I think, top of mind for him, even though he artfully did not comment on any one competitor. Right. So well, it's uh, it's it's definitely a concern for Nord for yeah, SAS. And, and you know, you mentioned Finnair. I mean, Finnair had made that you know uh, before the pandemic had that franchise of flying from Northern Europe, connecting Northern Europe to Asia. That market is gone, and also the geographic advantage of being able to fly over Russian aerospace, being that far north. Uh, Russian airspace, rather, uh, is gone as well, thanks to sanctions. So Finnair is wet leasing short haul aircraft to focus on near near um, international routes from Finland. And so there, there's a lot of competition. And SAS is in the middle of this multi year. Don't forget, Finnair has put several of its A350s in Stockholm, flying yeah. to New York and Miami and everything, right. uh, routes that were Previously, SAS is bread and butter. Right. And so, and as I was saying before you interrupted me, um, <laughs> I mean, Finner, you know, SAS is, while all of this is happening, SAS is in the middle of this multi-year uh, restruct or business transformation that uh, is not going as fast as, as the new CEO wants. So it's, uh, That's right. it's a rough spot to be in. Yeah. Now, he said he was asked if they had a timeline for when something could happen. And he said, well, it's not tomorrow uh you know he said basically we'll wait more than three months but probably not a year was was what he said so you know this isn't they're not going to be going to uh filing for administration tomorrow uh, or this summer it sounds like but you know maybe this fall which would be a traditional time for airline bankruptcies after the summer peak passes anyway right and that's yeah so it'll be interesting once again and i say this all the time it'll be interesting to see what happens now let's go a little farther south from stockholm <laughs> staying in europe though i hope staying in europe let's go to amsterdam and i had the uh the good fortune of speaking to ceo uh, klm ceo peter elbers this week excellent um now the important question Maju, i have that i hope he answered that i think all our re- listeners are dying to hear is what are his plans for running in Delhi? Please. Yes. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, El- Peter Elvers is leaving KLM after 30 years at the company and eight years the- as CEO and is going to um, take the helm of Indigo, the Indian carrier we referred to earlier. Um, but, and he'll be based in Delhi. I did ask him that, you know, and he said uh, he's, he plans to run outside, uh, except during the winter when Delhi is very badly smog bound and then he said he might consider running inside at that point so to answer your, there's your answer that but awesome. um <laughs> you know i asked uh, 
him whether he thought the Air France, um, you know, the merger with Air France was a good idea. And he actually said it was it was visionary. Like KLM and Air France in 2004 were, you know, big airlines and strong airlines, but they they were still, you know, tied to relatively small countries. And this transnational mm-hmm. merger really allowed them to unlock the potential of their two hubs, their two big international hubs at Charles de Gaulle and, and Schiphol. And he was very, very positive about it. So that I found that uh, an interesting take. I mean, the, I know there's been no shortage of drama with uh, Air France and KLM, particularly in the European press. Um, so always, always. So it was, uh, it was good to get his take on it. Um, and he also, you know, I asked him about European consolidation. I mean, now that he's leaving the European airline industry, does he see more room for European consolidation? And he said, yeah, probably, you know. Well, um, we have ITA, uh, or ITA, uh, ITA, however you say it, in Italy. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Italian government is um, weighing a bid from MSC and Lufthansa and a competing one from Centares or Setares, which... Um, the latter one would include uh, potentially Air France and Delta State. So yeah. we shall see. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Europe, you know, he seemed to suggest Europe is a few years behind the U.S. in terms of consolidation. Um, I feel like that's been said for years. Yes, but... it has been said for years. <laughs> um, he did say, you know, he, I did ask him about Abra, the new Avianca goal tie-up in Latin America, and asked him if he saw scope for that elsewhere in the world. And, and you know, he, he said there... Th- they're good ideas and it's really innovative what's happening in Latin America. But, you know, as we know, like everywhere else in the world, there's strict ownership and control laws and that will prevent those transnational deals from happening in most of the world, at least for the foreseeable future. Definitely. Fascinating. Well, we'll look forward to that. And for our listeners, you can check that out on AW daily on Thursday and it will be in the issue on Monday as well. Absolutely. So that is our long rambling discussion about vaccines and masks and how Ned's not burning his mask. And you can talk to him about that. at Nor is Madhu when he goes into the composting uh, lose at the state parks. And trust me, you wouldn't either. You'd be wearing a mask too, because I wish I'd known about that years ago, about these masks years ago. And I would have liked California state parks a whole lot better. I'll tell you that. All right, that's enough for a month. On that note, (laughs) thank you for listening, and we will catch you again next week. Sounds good. Bye, Madhu. Bye, Ned. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge Podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. And of course, Check out AirlineWeekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. 